It was 1996, and my wife Jackie and I, we were able to experience the miracle of birth with our firstborn, Emma. Born in a hospital in Tennessee, and boy, our, our world was rocked. And I'm pretty sure that we both cried, although I don't like to admit that as a man, but I'm sure I cried at that moment. I mean, what are you going to do? It was such an amazing thing to, to be part of, and I kept thinking about the nine months leading up to this birth and how we were anticipating, trying to figure this thing out. We'd never been parents before, and when they sent us home with Emma in a car seat, we didn't even know how to work a car seat back in the day. We put it in the wrong seat, didn't know all the rules, didn't know what it meant to be a parent. But those memories stick in my mind, and it's like going back almost. These moments of, of birthing are so incredible. And maybe you've been blessed in your life to be part of a birth. Maybe that'd be a parent or grandparent in here. I don't think there's much like it. And, and, and when you think about that word birthing, what, what comes to mind? The word birthing. Miracles, Miracles yeah. Miracles? Birthing. What does that, that feel? Yeah. I, I grew up on a farm. Uh, so I, I, there were lots of births that I saw on the farm, and they were not always pretty. I had a buddy of mine that he, he lived on a, on a well, they, they made milk, you know, on a dairy. And those calving births can be a little traumatic. Uh, so, so birthing may, may evoke some incredible memories, but I also realized that birthing can be a struggle for some people because there are some that can't have children. Or, or maybe there's been a miscarriage. And the question for us here at Advent is, does Jesus' birth bring any hope? to that? Does, does Jesus being born, is God putting on flesh, does that bring hope even in that difficult situation? And here's the question for the morning. Is there something that God wants to birth in you this year? Is there something new that God wants to do in your life? Something brand new? Does, does, does God have a place in your life to, to do a new creation? And that's going to be our, our big question to answer today. Sister Elizabeth Ruth Obard. She's a Carmelite nun, and she, she wrote this a few years ago. Each one of us waits and longs for redemption, for the new birth, new life, new hope that is symbolized in a newborn child, like there's light in the darkness. Something amazing about birthing. We're going to be talking about that today, because uh, obviously we can't talk about Christmas without a pretty important birth that changed human history. But here we are, on the fourth Sunday of Advent. We started the Advent season on Thanksgiving weekend. Some of you were there for that. And we have been lighting candles that represent each week of Advent. And if you remember the first candle, that was what we called waiting. Because in a sense, the, in a real sense, the people of Israel, the, the Jewish people were waiting for centuries. And it was kind of like there was no, no prophet that came and felt like God was silent. So they were waiting for Messiah to come, the anointed one that would, would bring everything to right. And so we too 
are in a state of waiting, waiting for new creation, new heavens, new earth. We're waiting for that for Christ's return. So we talked about waiting in, in week one. In week two, we talked about the idea of acceptance and that the angel of God came to Mary, that fierce young gal. The angel came and, and, and Mary accepted the role of being the mom to allow this God put on flesh moment to happen, this Emmanuel. And she fiercely accepts that call and that role in her life. And, and maybe, and maybe it's, a, it's a clarion call for us. What are some things that we need to accept in our lives? Some things that we know that, that God is calling us to do and we need to accept that role and calling in our lives. So that was week, week two. Let me light that. If I can make this thing work. Okay. I keep thinking somebody on the staff is going to like either put trick candles up here or like sabotage the torch, but they haven't yet, so that's good. And I just gave them that, that idea. That's great. Anyway, that was week two. Week three, last week, we talked about journeying. And certainly Mary and Joseph were on a bit of a journey. They had to go to, to Bethlehem, and then there was more journeys after that, if you know the story. Uh, they journeyed, but we too are on a journey. In fact, from the beginning of creation, God has asked humanity to partner with him, to be part of this world-made-right project, that God isn't asking us to partner with him. And when Jesus came in his ministry, he asked people to follow him. And that's this journey that we get to be part of. And while we're, while we're still here on this journey, God has things for us he wants us to do. So that was journeying. And then today, we light the candle for birthing. Why? Because I believe God is always up to something new. He's always up to new creation. And what is that thing that he needs to create in you brand new? Hi, I'm Pastor Ben. Glad you're here with us in person and online. We see you. We gather like this, like Christ followers all over the globe, because we're, as we say often, one big dysfunctional family of faith. We're gathered on the first day of the week, because that was the day Jesus rose from the dead. That tomb was empty, and it changed human history forever. That's why we gather like this, to lift up the name of Jesus. So I'm glad you're with us. On the count of three, let's take a deep breath. One, two, three. Let it out. Let's talk about birthing today. Father, you're awesome and mighty. We, we pray as one, one family here uh, to lift up the name of your son, Jesus. As we gather, Father, would your Holy Spirit move in a powerful way that you would convict and challenge and change us, and that, Father, we would truly hear from you. So I pray that you'd soften our hearts Open our ears to what you might have for us in this idea of new creation and birth. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Start finding Luke chapter 2 in your device or your Bible. And I know it's difficult when we read these passages because we've read them so often. If you've been around church life, these are read every year. Maybe you read them as a tradition in your home on Christmas. You read this story. It's so read that we often don't really hear it anymore. We just let it kind of wash over us. But today, let's lean in, and as hard as it is, let's try to hear what the text has for us today in Luke chapter 2. Remember, Mary and Joseph had a bit of a journey. They were in the Nazareth community, and they had about a three-day walk. They probably didn't ride beasts of burden or animals because they were lower income, and so they had a, a journey. We don't know how far along Mary was at the time, and she gets to Bethlehem, and we don't know how long they were there in Bethlehem waiting for this census to happen, waiting for the Roman government to do whatever they had got to do, probably for taxation, I'm guessing. So they're there in Bethlehem, and, um, and well, at some point, it was time. 
I mean, just think for a moment. Think about Mary, and she's getting close. And, and just, can you hear in your, in your mind, Mary calling out to Joseph, Joseph, this baby's coming out now. You hear her saying that. We've got to put some humanity back in this story. This baby's coming out now. And uh, so let's lean in to Luke chapter 2. I'll start with verse 6. And again, this is familiar. Try to hear the text in maybe a new way. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and, uh, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region... There were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now the angels went away into heaven, away from them into heaven. And the shepherds said to one another, let's, let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened which the Lord has made known to us. And they, they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And, they, and when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. And Mary treasured all, up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. There's a lot of things in that passage that we could spend time on. This Christ who came for all people is born to you, that is, the Jewish people this day. In the city of David, everybody knows David, King David, city of David, Bethlehem. We have a culmination here of all the prophecies, all the waiting, all the anticipating, and then some shepherds are the first to hear and share the news. Sarah Bessie wrote this a few years ago too. Birth in all its forms and absences almost always is hallowed ground. It is holy because it's so incredibly human, which means it holds the full scope of human emotion and experience with it. Mary carried God in her womb, felt her body stretch and accommodate her organs literally relocate and leaned into her midwives, her midwives, panting as she labored to bring forth Emmanuel, God with us. Slick with vernix and bawling, it's holy and miraculous. Not because God is removed from humanity, but because God is now deeply human too in all of the blood and the milk and the wonder of it all. It's a profound mystery. 
it's beautiful and unbelievable at the same time. That, that night, Matthew records that these shepherds had some visitors. And they were angels. And eventually a host of angels. And they're praising God. But what the angels say is something really, really important that we sort of read right over. You see, in the first century, the Jewish people were an occupied nation by the, uh, the empire of Rome. You had the Caesars, and many of us know the names like Julius Caesar and Brutus and all those names. They're in our literature and narratives, but that was literally, literally true in the first century. The Roman Empire was the empire. The buck stopped with Rome. And when a new emperor or a new Caesar took the throne, messengers were sent throughout the Roman Empire. They would bring the euangelion, which is a Greek term that we get the word gospel from. But in the first century, when you got the announcement of the new Caesar on the throne, it meant a number of things. New kings in town, new persons in charge, New regime starts now. Well, Matthew records, and, and maybe he's co-opting a phrase that everyone in the first century would have immediately known. This is a good news announcement that there is a new king on the throne. The word here the angels use is the euangelion. That a new king is here. Now we know it wasn't some earthly, earthly king to run an empire for a few years. This was the king of kings that would have an empire that would never end. And it wouldn't be like the empires of the world. It would be a kingdom not of this world. That the angels used that. Matthew recording that very word was loaded. This is the euangelion. This is the announcement of good news. And Matthew says the angels said it's good news not just for the Jewish nation. What, is this, what does the text say? For... All people. And he's going to be Messiah, Meshiach in Hebrew, or Christos in Greek. He's going to be Messiah and Savior. Two roles that he's going to play. Now the Jewish people were anticipating that Meshiach. They were anticipating this anointed one coming. They've been waiting all these years. And so these... These angels don't make some quick statement here. This is a powerful statement of announcement of a new kingdom that's come. And this king is going to be both Messiah and Savior. Messiah as anointed one, the kings are anointed, new king, but also Savior. Because as the angels told Mary, he's going to save his people from their sins. And not just the Jewish people, but all people. It sounds a lot like a little promise God gave to Abraham and Sarah way back in the day that you're going to be a blessing for all people. You see, the Jewish nation was ready for this. And when Matthew records, the angels said, euangelion is here, that's a new regime change. A new king has come. And, and this is something I want to point out. Look at verse 17 and 18 if you still have your device open. I never saw this until today. Well, not today, but I, I'm going to talk about it today. But I saw it this week. In verse 17, the text says this. They made known the saying 
that had been told them concerning this child. We just talked about that, right? This saying wasn't just some flippant statement. This is a powerful, political, spiritual, game-changing announcement that just happened. Then they made known the saying, okay? They reported back. But then listen to this next one. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. See, I think what the text is trying to help us understand is that I know this is going to ruin your nativity scene that you have set up at, how, at your house. Uh, I don't think there were camels, okay? But I, I think there were more people. There were more people in that room than just Mary and Joseph, maybe a midwife, maybe some family. There were some people there. Some people heard it too. And everybody was what? Wondering at what this meant to get the euangelion that a new king and a new regime has started. That this would be Messiah and Savior. They were all wondering about what they were told. This announcement. And there were more people in the room. I never saw that before. I don't know how many. It doesn't tell us. But Mary and Joseph, the shepherds were there. Who else had heard? Maybe the shepherds were real loudmouths. And they were saying, you can't believe what just happened to us. I don't know. But the buzz began there. And what happened that night changed the world forever. That seemingly in inconsequential couple with their miracle child in a small town in a podunk area of the world would ripple all the way through the known world within just a short time. So let me ask again the question. When you hear the word birthing, what does that bring up for you? What does that, what does that say to you? Through Mary... God literally put on flesh and was born as a child. This is a profound mystery that the early church, ever since the days of the early church, they, they struggled to get their minds around. Mary participates in this God putting on flesh. Emmanuel is the word. Theologians, this is a $5 theologian word, you're welcome, call this the incarnation. That God comes to indwell into human flesh. It's miraculous. It's mysterious. But what does that speak to you? The, the, the divine, the creator of the universe, the spinner of all planets, humbles himself to be born from a teenage girl in a small town on one given night. Likely it wasn't December 25th, I'm sorry. It probably wasn't there. They were traveling, so it was probably during the springtime. I don't want to ruin that for you, but I just did. Anyway, the point being, God did this. What does that speak to you? Because throughout the ages, there have been different philosophies of how spirit is good, body is bad. Almost this sort of Gnostic view that you, you separate the two. The flesh is always bad, poo-poo on flesh, but no, the spirit is it's great, beautiful. Like There's this dichotomy that happened with philosophy and religion. And here's the God of the universe defying all of that, humbling himself. I mean, think about God becoming a fragile little baby. It, it's profound. I, I don't know about you, but I'm still wrestling with the beauty of that, the wonder of that. I mean, God becomes fragile. Like Mary had to hold God. What, like what happened? 
I mean, that's a responsibility, a weight. I'm not even sure that Joseph and Mary really understood the weight of this glory that they held in this babbling little boy. What is that like that God comes to us unarmed, without pomp and circumstance, with complete humility, God would come to us and allow himself to be fragile and an infant that needed to be fed and cared for and swathed in clothes and allowed to sleep in a manger. What does this speak to us? I mean, I think we see all the beauty and, and tragedy of the human story all played out at once. Mary had birth pains, and then she saw this child. And, and sometimes I feel like in these very human moments, we actually get to see God. In these very human moments, we actually get to see the creator of the universe. I know it seems like a, an impossible reality that both of those could be true. But we've talked about that, right? Two things can't be true at once. God be, becomes flesh and he's fragile. And I think that speaks to how much God cares about the fragile things in your life and in my life. Every time you see a, a baby, that should remind us that God was willing to be fragile, willing to be held. This is... Does this not blow your mind just even thinking about it? Like, I can't get my, my head around this. Maybe you're like, oh, I figured it all out. It's a profound mystery. The early church, like I said, struggled to figure out how to define this. Because it's not like any of their myth stories. I mean, even the entire miracle of, of the conception didn't happen the way gods and goddesses did. This was a, an act of, of, of creation. That the Spirit of God hovered over. It sounds a lot like Genesis 1. But he has this new creation. And then this child is fragile, but he's God. And, and I wonder what it felt like for Mary to have him fall asleep. You ever had a child fall asleep on you? Her heartbeat matched God's heartbeat. I mean, I can't, you see, it's too profound for me. I can't, I can't get my mind around it. There are two stories that happen at Advent that we need to wrestle with. And the first one certainly is the birth of this child, this God put on flesh walking among us, this, this Mary birthing story. That's one story, but there's another story of God coming again and putting the world to rights, of God returning and bringing new heavens and new earth, new creation. We wait for that. There's two stories that happen, and both of them are worth our time. <clears throat> They're both worth our attention, aren't they? They're both profound mysteries. God came to us, God is with us, and he's coming again. Those are all true. I love what the Apostle Paul wrote about Jesus in this birth. And if you've never read this, find Philippians chapter 2. I'll put it up on the screen too, but this is a profound statement. From Philippians chapter 2, I'll start with verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, 
so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, everywhere. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. He humbled himself. Consider God understanding your difficulty, your frailty, your, your difficulty. He became flesh and dwelt among us. John, in his gospel, in chapter 1, speaks about we have beheld his glory. We have seen him. And we're writing these things about him so you could believe. That's how he ends his gospel. God putting on flesh. And maybe that's the, the scandal, if you will, of, of, of the Christmas season. That the God of the universe would be willing to be born, walk among us, and bring us the victory through that cross. It's so upside down. That's the scandal of Christmas. It's an upside down thing. If a king is coming, we think we've got to bring out the band and get, every, get all the banners going. And here's, a, here's God putting on flesh with this seemingly insignificant couple and, and breathing for the first time and, and having to nurse. It blows the mind of every theologian. Blows my mind. And I think that's why we, we sing every Christmas, Come thou long expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. It's a beautiful mystery. And it, we can imagine this. Someday we can, imagine, we can imagine redemption, renewal of all things. I mean, aren't, aren't we longing for that one day when God will wipe away every tear? And there will be new heavens and new earth. We long and we, we expect that one day. God came once and he's coming again to make all things new. And that's why I think when I hear the song, Go Tell It on the Mountain, that's what I'm thinking of. He's making all things new. And it started that night with Mary and Joseph. So let me ask you a question once more. What does God want to birth new in your life? Is there something that God wants to, to make new, a new creation in you? And that could be a number of things. Maybe it's a, a new ministry or a new, a, a, a new uh, project or, or something that he's wired only you to do and for whatever reason you've just not pursued it. What is something new that God wants to birth in you? Thomas Merton once said this, Advent is the beginning of the end of all that is in us that is not yet Christ. Maybe the thing that God wants to birth in you and me this Christmas might have to do with sincere love for the people around us. Sincere love for your, your neighbors, your family, your co-workers. Maybe God wants to birth in you a whole new level of love, a sacrificial love that, that is not from your power, that takes more than you got. An only God moment. Maybe God wants to birth that in you. Maybe you could start praying for what that is in your life. God, what do you want to birth in me? I mean, there's two, there's two other, other questions to that. Do you, do you believe God can birth something new in you? And do you believe he will? So here's a, here's a, a challenge that maybe, maybe God is, is increasing some kind of love in your life that maybe you've never really embraced before. Because look, every act of love that we, impart, that we do is, a, is, is always a miracle worth paying attention to. Every little act of love. It's a miracle that we get to pay attention to every time it happens. It's always beautiful. 
So let's say a prayer together. This is going to be my big takeaway today, but let's say this prayer together. God, birth more love in us. Amen. Let's do that again. We can do that better. God, birth more love in us. Amen. One more time. Do you believe this? Don't pray it if you don't think it. God, birth more love in us. Amen. Love is a miracle that's always worth paying attention to. Always worth celebrating. The heart of theology is what we believe about the nature and character of who God is. So let's today settle this truth in our bones. That Jesus is the exact representation of God. He was born to reveal God to us directly, to show us all the ways where we might have misrepresented or misunderstood God. He came to show who he really was in that fragile moment. And what do we learn from the life of Jesus? We are loved, we are special, we are redeemed, and we're no longer servants, but we're friends and sons and daughters of the King. That's what he came to show us. That's what the birth of Advent shows us. Everything changed that night in Bethlehem. And I'm sure Mary and Joseph didn't really think that. But this announcement, this euangelion, was the beginning of a whole new world that happened that night at Bethlehem. And all will someday be restored. The early church used to say a phrase. They would say in Aramaic, Maranatha, which means, come Lord. We don't know when that's going to happen, but one day that will, that will be a reality for us. But Jesus, when he came and showed who God really is, he's better than we could have ever imagined, better than the first century Jews could have ever imagined. He's better because redemption has come. I want to pray here in a moment, but at Christmas, let's celebrate redemption, celebrate new life, and ask God, what do you need to birth in me this, this year, this season? Can we do that? Let's pray one more time. God, birth more love in us. Our Father and our God in heaven, you're mighty and powerful. Thank you for being so much greater and powerful and being being so vulnerable in that moment, showing that you love even the vulnerable and the fragile, the aliens, orphans, and widows. Your heart is for us. So Lord, help us to extend your love to the people around us. May you birth more love in all of us this year. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.